Hello, and welcome to season two of Coffee and Code. I'm your host, Ashley Coffee. Coffee and Code is here to help bridge the gap between technology and people through each informative episode. On this show, you'll hear exclusive interviews with experts and innovators in the tech space. No matter your level of expertise or ability, I believe you can be excited, informed, and empowered to learn how the rapidly evolving tech world impacts your daily life. Subscribe to Coffee and Code to be notified when new episodes go live. You can also find me on Twitter at AshleyCoffee underscore and on Instagram at AshleyRCoffee89. Thanks for listening and welcome to Coffee and Code. Hello and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Code. I'm excited to have some awesome guests on the show with me today. We've got Robin Mulder from 3-Pound XR. We have Dr. Anissa Guzman from the Tucson Medical Center. And I'm excited that they're here today because they're going to be talking about the intersection of medical and XR. And if you don't know what XR is, XR is an umbrella term that encompasses virtual, augmented, and mixed reality. And we're going to talk about, you know, what the possibilities are, what's happening right now, and why this little field is so exciting and why it's exploding. So without further ado, welcome to the show. Hey, Ashley. Great to to be here today. Um, And today we have uh, Dr. Nissa Guzman with us. So uh, say hello. Hi. Thank you, Ashley, for having us on. Well, I'm uh, I'm excited to talk with with you all today. You all have very <clears throat> ex- extensive backgrounds in your fields, and I think that this lends to an interesting intersection here. So, well, I want to kind of start out with with Robin. <clears throat> Robin, can you talk us through kind of how did you get started in this medical field? What was your foot in the door in the medical industry, and um, how did that lead to your collaboration at um, with the Tucson Medical Center? Um, I have a long interest in medical technologies. I, I have a background in engineering, so I, I came out of college as an electronics engineer and ended up working at Motorola doing like microcontroller programming. You know, like look, I put cool stuff in air quotes, 6809, 68HC11. I know the really cool people will know what that stuff is. Um, and, and somewhere in that, in, in Miami, I suddenly just fell in love with medical devices. I ended up working for Dow Corning, working on a recanalization system, like dual microcontrollers, like shooting liquids down a, a tube. And then the, the metal piece is rotating at like 36,000 RPM. And if anything goes wrong with my code, somebody's leg's going to get burnt up or they could die. So you know, the gravity of that situation really hits you pretty hard young in your career of why it's so important to, you know, work in this field and improve these technologies and do things that can help real people, including maybe you someday. This could be you on the table that's, you know, getting a device shoved in you and you're thinking, boy, I really hope this is coded well or tested well, or all of these other things that come to mind. 
And also you start thinking about, what about the person who's doing this procedure? They should really know what they're doing too. And do they, how do they practice this? When do they get a chance to try this stuff out on non-humans? So that simulation community has always been kind of there and an, a, an interest for me in you know, trying to bring better training to people and, and more real actual hands-on opportunities. Um, but they were just, technology wasn't there. You know, like, what do we have? We have, we have computers and flat screens and PDFs and PowerPoints before that. And everything was so just a slice of reality and not the actual kinesthetic and audio and visual uh, impact that real life has for you. And that's so important when you're training because I need to practice the steps and I need to actually make the motions and I need to get distracted and I need to hear somebody shouting at me down the hallway and I need to be able to focus while that's going on. Um, that's only something we can really do with, with virtual reality and, and augmented, you know, uh, like the entire immersive landscape of different layers of this. Augmented reality, we can still give you lots of the steps, but maybe we can't give you the sixth off experience with the hands-on. Um, so let me cut back there. Um, so it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of a great space for us to be in because we've had an interest in it, and because we're game developers, we know how to train people on crazy things. I can train you on how to live your life on Mars. I can train you on how to kill this giant monster that has six tentacles and shark teeth. And you'll know by the end of the game how this solution works or how this puzzle works. And we have trained you on that. And that's all games do. They teach you how to do something. You practice it a whole bunch of times until you overcome and you succeed with that obstacle. And we're applying this same methodology to VR training specifically in medical to give people that hands-on training that they need so that they're really ready to help people out in a in an emergency situation. They're just ready to go. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's becoming more prominent in, in the medical field. And, and, and Dr. Guzman, I want to hear more about your background as well um, at this intersection of XR. I'm curious, how did you meet Robin? And um, also, side note, you are um, incredibly um, decorated in, in qualifications. You're a registered nurse, PhD, MBA, NEABC, NPDBC, and CNE. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about your journey into, into this intersection of medical and XR? Uh, sure. Um, I, as you said, I'm a registered nurse. I've been a nurse for almost 30 years now, um, but a large portion of my career I spent in education um, in both the academic setting and also in clinical ed. Uh, I really became um, more interested in this first off with simulation that became pretty popular in healthcare, um, specifically nursing um, and medicine, and have worked in numerous programs where we developed um, simulation scenarios and used that to help teach our nursing teams. That takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of resource. You have to have uh, the people to help set that up, take it down, manage the mannequins, and so have really been sort of keeping an eye on um, what else is going on in healthcare. When the pandemic hit, um, it seemed like a great opportunity to sort of what you know look at other options for what we could do to train quickly and also use something that could be um, modified sort of on the fly and in the moment because some of those protocols 
we're changing, um, you know, not kidding every, every few hours sometimes or several times a day. Um, so I have a mutual um, friend with uh, Robin and uh, we have spoken a couple of times and had met in person once. And when this happened, I thought of her immediately um, because we were needing to do something quickly and there was potential for some innovation grants. Um, through the organization I was working with at the time. And we uh, initially set up a proposal, tried to pursue that. And then because things were so uncertain with the financial state of healthcare, that wasn't able to happen. Um, and then transitioned to a new role um, with a very strong foundation at Tucson Medical Center. And they are very committed to um, innovation in healthcare. Uh, we, uh, my partner and I, Cam Diamond, wrote a proposal um, submitted that to the grant, and we were granted um, funding to work on this virtual reality project with Three Pound XR. And that's kind of how we got here. We wanted to choose some topics that weren't just nursing specific, even though that's what I've really focused on in my career, um, nursing education wise, but really wanted to look at also um, the ancillary departments and the staff that supports healthcare, such as infection prevention, um, and environmental services. So um, I, like I said, I've spent the majority of my career, um, I feel like in education, um, and it's a passion of mine. And that is sort of what has led me to this point. And all the things that you mentioned in my, um, uh, of my degrees and certifications are, the majority of those are um, education related. So that has really been a focus of mine. Incredible, incredible. And I want to hear from the both of you, what was your first experience using um, XR? Robin, you want to go first? <laughs> yeah, I want to hear what year it was. What, what I, I got to, I'm thinking, I'm thinking because it's way, 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 way back well, there, like 2015. Yeah, when I'm newer at it. I just got my first um, headset uh, in the last year. Um, had really, like I said, focused mostly on the traditional, what I would call more traditional simulation with manic high fidelity mannequins or even lo-fi mannequins, mm -hmm. um, but got my first uh, virtual reality I had set this last year. Wow. What about you, Robin? Uh, it's been a long time. I think um, it was probably the Vive, uh, one of the earliest ones, like the first release of the Vive or maybe, and if you want to count any Google Cardboard or uh, that sort of thing before that. Um, I've also been just an absolute Viewmaster fiend in my life. I have so many book, like so many Viewmaster reels and like collections of different ones from different mm -hmm. eras. And my absolute pride and joy in the Viewmaster Reels is a medical of the arm. It slices. So it's a professionally bound, leather bound medical Viewmaster Reels designed to teach people in 3D about, you know, slices of the arm. And they made an entire series for everything in the body. Wow, that is awesome. It's really cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I think I've seen that actually. That's incredible. Um, 
I kind of always wanted to collect the whole set, but I'm not that crazy. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so in, in, in my previous roles, I was an emerging technologies librarian at the University of Oklahoma, and we worked with the medical campus at OU, and we did explore, this was 2018, 2019 at the time, and we were exploring some of the um, medical training and how to pull in some DICOM data to view 3D imaging in, in VR in, in real time. And it was just a kind of, it was so incredible to see it at, at that moment. And I could only imagine how much it's advanced since then. So I'm, I'm curious, what are you working on at three pound XR currently um, that you can both talk about? The four projects uh, that we worked on for this 2022 year, and this is what's happening right now. It's deployed at Tucson. People are just now starting to use it. Um, so it's eligible for a thousand people of environmental services, primary care technicians and registered nurses. So the four applications are um, suicide prevention, which is you know about like setting the room straight, like making sure people can't get to the things that they shouldn't be able to get to. Fall prevention, which again, it's kind of about setting the room straight, like, you know, don't leave the thing in the way of the person walking, you know, make sure that stuff that they need to get to is right by their bedside and not all the way across the room. Cause guess what they're going to do? They're going to get up and try to go get their phone if it's over there on the couch. And you know what? They're going to fall. So, you know, anything like that to remind you where things might be, where they might've slipped behind or that sort of thing to kind of get the room set correctly and just reduce the number of falls and reduce the potential of suicide or self-harm are what those two modules are all about. Then there's uh, the next two are more focused around the environmental services with a room turnover, put everything away, trash, cleaning, you know, all that sort of thing, wiping things down. And then the, you know, really, really fun one is the electrostatic spray gun. So you get the whole room and you have to clean all the walls and you have to do the ceilings because you spot clean the ceilings and you can mop the floor, but those walls, the entire bed, the chair, anything in that room needs to be sprayed with an electrostatic mm -hmm. sprayer. And so you're just going spray, spray. It's really fun. It's it's like goose, Ghostbusters, but with little particles. And anytime you've ever seen anyone do one of these, you know you want to play with this toy. So we have it set up. You go around, you do it. And then you can click the UV light on the wall. So it simulates the show me what I missed. And then you'll see how poorly you did or how great you did. And it's it's remarkable to um, to just try this out because you'll think you just killed it. You'll be like, yeah, I got this. I was spraying this chair and I was just like, I'm going to nail this. I'm going to get it 100%. Watch me. And I was so meticulous about it. I flipped the light on and I missed this whole side, like a whole like like big slice, a quarter slice of pizza sized big slice. And I'm like, how did that even happen? Like, how did I get so careless when I was actually focusing on this task? And those are those moments we realize that this is really going to be helpful. It's really going to like get people to practice and do the right thing and not just get careless when they're waving their arms around or like not looking under the bed and missing things under the bed. And it's, it's like, it's very important because all of these topics are relevant to healthcare today. We're in healthcare held to specific standards from, uh, you know, regulatory and accreditation bodies, such as the joint commission that really, you know, look to prevent, um, or to improve patient safety and provide high, the highest quality of care for our patients. Uh, 
So it's these topics are all related to those things. We want to avoid hospital acquired conditions um, or and we want to assess risk for patients so that we don't injure them or cause them, put them in situations that would increase their risk for harm. Uh, also to do anything that would keep them in the hospital longer instead of getting home or to their environment where they can heal and continue to improve. Um, also important for us in healthcare related to these topics is uh, value-based purchasing where we are as healthcare organizations reimbursed on uh, whether or not, you know, what kind of care we provided to that patient. If a patient gets something like Clostridium difficile, which is the um, electromagnetic spray um, scenario is trying to clean that room so that there's no trace of C. diff. Um, that's what we call that for short. Uh, there's no trace left in that room because it can be spread from patient to patient and we want to avoid that at all costs. So those things, if, if a patient gets that, it impacts the reimbursement a hospital can get for payment um, during that hospitalization. So these are all very, I mean, the patient safety piece is huge, the quality of care piece is huge, and then the financial uh, repercussions if we aren't doing what we need to be doing to keep patients safe and providing them the highest quality of care. So they're relevant, again, to everybody. This isn't just at Tucson Medical Center, which is really why we wanted to tackle these topics to start because it could it resonates with everybody. Wow, that's incredible. Yes. And I'm, I'm really curious about the data points here. So um, in traditional clinical practice, you, you have your assessments. So are you doing assessments that are hybrid into traditional or what, what kind of assessments are you doing before and after? And how are you interweaving some of the data that comes out of the input from the user into those assessments? So right now we're very early in the research study phases. We're still working out protocol and things like that. The goal would be though, that we would be able to see how they perform. Um, uh, at least we're gonna give them two opportunities and to see if there's an improvement in their performance after some discussion and giving them a chance to sort of learn what, for instance, with the suicide risk assessment and prevent you know, the safety mechanism of that, to ensure that they catch all the things they need to catch to keep the patient safe. Um, so once, you know, we would we don't have any way to connect that with our um, electronic medical record or anything like that. It's more of really just tracking the performance overall um, and then continuing to monitor that. I believe that virtual reality will help to sort of hardwire those practices in a way that we haven't been able to do simply through discussion or more passive teaching strategy um, like lecture, um, or even just giving them a chance to sort of um, maybe do a modified um, simulation uh, in a patient room or in a um, simulation room. So it's sort of, you know, we'll know more with the research study, kind of how that the impact the virtual reality scenarios will have on their performance. And then we'll hope to see that translated to actual clinical practice by looking at rates of occurrence. Um, you could look at you know, completion of the suicide risk assessment form. The Columbia scale is what we use at Tucson Med and the Morse fall scale um, to see if, if we've had any improvement of completion um, and even to look to see, you know, is there a correlation between 
um, those that attend and, and complete the virtual reality and maybe are, you know, are they better at doing assessments on their patients? Wow, that is incredible. And I could see that being a solution that could work at scale nationwide, um, especially in communities that maybe don't have access to traditional treating methodology. Um, I mean, studies show that there's a Gartner research report that, um, you know, VR, people that go through VR for training, it's 80% knowledge retention um, compared to a traditional learning environment of being in a classroom. So, I mean, the data is showing that people are, you know, in really performing well in VR and that it's providing a safe environment to fail, which is great. You can practice over and over and over. And without any risk or consequence to the patient, which is also one of the biggest selling points for us, um, for me as a nurse, and I know for Cam as well, um, that we can provide that environment that doesn't have any real impact on patients in the moment. Yes. And Robin, I'm curious, <clears throat> out of all of the kind of angles of, of training scenarios that you've been involved with, with three, three XR, what has been your favorite experience in, in the medical realm? That's, that's a tricky one. I, I really think it's the electrostatic sprayer because it's just fun. You know what I mean? Like this is games for us too. You know, it's not just, uh, we're not just training you. We're also incentivizing you with fun and like letting you want to do your job and want to get better at your job. That's a very exciting space to be in because most people look at training and they're like, oh my God, I got to, I got to go to this class and this thing. And they're all stressed out about it. And they know they're taking time out of their day and they're already busy and their inbox is overflowing. And they don't have time for this. And they're looking for excuses not to go sit in the classroom. But when you say it's VR and you're telling them that you get to do this stuff, now they're like, oh, okay. It's like a, it's like a fun break. All right. I'm all in. Like that's going to move the needle. That's going to increase, that's going to increase productivity. It's going to cut down on errors. I'm waiting for those stories. I'm excited to hear the first time somebody in environmental services says, you know what? I almost threw out their hearing aids, but I remembered to check the tray before throwing it out this time. Like that's mm -hmm. huge. That's thousands of dollars of savings. Anytime any mistake, it doesn't happen and it's better care and People won't be so grouchy if they have better care and, and then they'll get better faster. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of ancillary benefits. Absolutely. We, we would call that include like the value of inclusive, inclusive design. It's, you know, the, it, it benefits more than one group. Yeah, right, right. And, and aspects of that training too. I, I really like that term. That's great. Yeah, we, we get to do a lot of fun stuff. Uh, it's um, I, I'm not gonna lie, my job's pretty friggin' awesome. Like between the uh, between doing this type of work and partnering with subject matter expertise like like Anissa and Cam, we get to learn so much cool stuff from them. We get to work with really amazing people at Tucson Medical. Everybody is in it to make this industry better and improve processes. That is incredible, and I love it. And then I also get to work on cool games with three pound games. So I, I can't lose it at my job right now. It's um it's a great work work balance. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I love that. And I think it's important, but I want to hone in on something that you mentioned here. I think it's important whenever people are looking at XR as a solution, no matter what industry, it's important to make sure it's a meaningful solution, not just a we're doing it for the sake of doing it. Um, and that's where I think, you know, people like you come in. So I want to hone in on the particles that you talked about, the, the spray, the ESD spray. So I think that's a really practical application of what the potential is of designing um, an experience in VR, because that is a meaningful and very thoughtful design process and your background is a little bit in engineering and, and sound and you're an, um, actually an Oculus Launchpad recipient um, in 2019 um, with Vault of Stars that'll be coming out in, in Quest in 2022. So I want to hear more about your background and how that has lent to your creativity in medical XR design. Yeah, I think I think it's the the thing about my background is because I have these different stacks of my life. Like there's the engineering stack, and where I, you know I worked on communications and and medical stuff, and and just website development and like designing companies. And then pretty soon I was like building companies of other companies through making incubator corporations, like out in California. So I've had all this weird slices of engineering the business to management and then there's this other whole piece of me that's a musician and i've put out multiple albums and i've i've worked on these games and built the entire soundscape for multiple games like space dragon is basically my space opera and i'm actually working right now on a reissue of space dragon for the quest and i'm constantly sitting here going what kind of explosion should this really be you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff. And while I'm thinking about it the whole way, I'm always trying to figure out, like, where can I also leverage this power and this information and this this skill? And when you get back into the VR training spot, it gives you this other usefulness, reason to do things, and also another perspective. Sometimes we go back and forth on this and we go and we work on something cool on the VR training or let's make a business application or let's do a trade show application for the auto show or we partner with somebody, just do something totally crazy. Um, we learn from this and we bring that experience back into ThruCon Games. And then sometimes we build new puzzle mechanics around the stuff that we learned. It's incredible to just bounce back and forth on this and just use all the, the parts of your brain. Absolutely. <clears throat> you wear a lot of hats. Um, <laughs> and uh, what a time to be alive and, and wear a lot of hats. And I want to hear what's the backstory on Three Pound XR? Where, did that, where, does, where does that come from? Three pounds is actually the weight of the average brain. Mm, I like it. So it was, uh, yeah, I was watching, I think, um, was a show on Nova, maybe it's way back in the day, and the announcer said something, and then they said the three pound universe, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's great!" Like, I love right? it. That is perfect. I mean, actually, your brain, your brain is just like everything. Like you are your brain. This this body, this shell, it means nothing. Who you are is that person in there. 
to me. The rest of it's just kind of on autopilot reaching for, you know, a cupcake when they probably shouldn't have. That's pretty- yeah. <laughs> Right. And um, and like that's why I love to connect with people in their head. And VR gives me that I can be anybody I want to in VR and I can I can not be afraid to be something else. You could you could change your gender. You could change the way you dress. You could be a frog. Mm -hmm. You can change your species. Who cares? It's all good. And you could just roll with that. Um, And that's humans kind of need to kind of get out of that who they are um, problem uh, because it blocks them from doing stuff. I, I personally don't like sitting in classrooms and training a lot of times because it doesn't move at my speed. I talk fast. I think fast. I get bored quickly because somebody's writing slowly. Um, so it's a disconnect for me. I don't want to sit there. It's uncomfortable. It's cold in here. You know, there's all these things going on, those external factors. And, and if you can remove all those barriers for me to learn, I'm going to learn a lot better. And I know a lot of people with a lot of different uh, abilities and disabilities who are going to learn better in VR because we can tune in. We can, we'll put the text up there for you to read, but we're also saying the text for you. So there's two hits right there. If you're an audio person, you heard it. And if you're a visual person, you read it. And if you're just a slow reader, that's okay. You you had time to catch up. You know, you're not being left behind. Nobody's rushing you. Nobody's telling you, oh, time to go to class, blah, blah, blah. Let's get out of here. And instead, we're letting the instructor come into the room with you in multiplayer, watch you do the work. They could actually give you some extra, you know, tips. They could just give you some encouragement, whatever you want to do, whatever you need to do. And that's just going to make people so much more successful. This is so wild, Robin. I'm, I'm really glad that you're mentioning this. <clears throat> so I'm a part of uh, XR Access, which is an initiative uh, to make sure that XR is, is born accessible, especially for people with disabilities. And we actually just uh, did a research report where we looked at seven large-scale immersive platforms that are used in VR and assessed how they're designed by access need. So we um, did this research of the course of about six months and about 10 people with lived experience across the U.S. Um, so our, our assessment areas were general access, sight and visual considerations, hearing and speaking considerations, and um, mobility and dexterity considerations, and thinking and cognitive considerations. Um, and there's a lot of layers here. You mentioned on you know timing and making sure that you have multiple means for for input is there a chat box does are there captions does it allow a seated versus a standing position um do you have the ability to change your skin tone you know things like that you know values of inclusive design because there's no standard currently um but there are initiatives that are that are shepherding and guiding that in the right direction. W3C, um, XR Access Initiative does have some resources, uh, the XR Association and the XRA GitHub. Uh, anyone that's listening, if you're lis- uh, if you're interested in, in contributing or finding developer resources for XR that are inclusive, um, you can visit GitHub um, and the repositories XR Accessibility, which is really exciting. So um, to circle back around on that, Robin, I'm so glad that you are a voice and an advocate for inclusive design because it's so important that 
people aren't excluded from these experiences as they become more prominent. Um, it's wild to think that I believe voiceover took four years to come to the iPhone. Um, and that's a long time to <laughs> right. exclude people with disabilities. And for those listening, everyone, we will all have a disability at some point in our lives, whether it's permanent, situational, or temporary. So it's important to design for our future selves and, and for everyone at that. So and and advocate yes. for it too, because you don't like that's that's this funny thing. You're right. People kind of do the uh, oh well, I'm fine, so therefore who cares? And the, then the reality is, then someone they know goes blind or has hearing problems, and now they're an advocate for them because they know them. And instead of thinking that way, you should definitely be thinking about the fact that everybody's on a spectrum. There's no you're deaf or you're not. You're on a spectrum. You may be going deaf right now and you just don't know it. You probably are because everybody's, you know, losing a little bit of something. Every sensory input, you're losing a little bit of something every day. But where are you going to be on that spectrum in 20 years? So maybe you should be advocating for yourself as well as other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Guzman, what are your what are your thoughts on this? I'm sorry about the use of this through different for different groups, specifically those with um, disabilities or from different backgrounds? Is that what you're asking me specifically? Yeah, I'm just, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on on this practical application and how it supports uh, more groups, especially those with disabilities and how important it is to make sure they're inclusively designed so that people aren't excluded from these experiences in 3D? I think it's extremely important. I think, you know, I'm a woman of color and just simple things for having patients that look like me or nurses that, um, you know, might come from the same background, for instance, could are extremely important. I think not just for those currently practicing, but also for those who might choose to, you know, advance their degree because they do this, do an, uh, an activity or a scenario um, as a patient care tech, for instance, and then see that there's possibility. Um, I think also to be able to help when I think about this from like a diversity or um, equity kind of standpoint, the ability to help people work through um, difficult situations or scenarios where um, maybe culture or ethnicity is impacting or influencing um, the experience and having that opportunity to work through that with coaching and guidance and direction um, in a safe space where you can make mistakes and not maybe have, again, these big consequences to patients, but to be able to talk about it, um, work through any um, uncertainties or, you know, maybe not knowing what to do, uh, this would allow that safe space to have that. So I think it's extremely important. I talked about race and ethnicity, uh, but I think it's important for other um, topics of diversity, you know, hearing and uh, impairment, also LGBTQ plus um, patient scenarios. Um, those, all of those things are especially important in today's society as we're trying to work things out and figure out what we need to do as healthcare providers to provide a safe and um, high quality care experience for everybody. Absolutely. Um, multiply marginalized populations. Um, we have to also make sure that that is a very, very important element of everything 
that we are looking at and, and rebuilding from the pandemic. So I'm, I'm curious um, if people that are listening want to hear more or find some resources to learn more about what you're doing at Three Pound XR with this project, um, where can they go to find more information? Uh, you can go to our website, threepoundxr.com. We also have LinkedIn, of course, and we can put some links in for that and a link tree. And we will be publishing uh, the research study. So when Anissa, we complete the study, there'll be 200 people. Actually, you know what, Anissa, you should talk about the study. This is kind of your, it's your bag. Uh, well, uh, like I, as I kind of said earlier, we're still kind of working out the protocol, but the goal or our initial intent is to enroll 200 registered nurses at Tucson Medical Center, we would have them run through the scenarios uh, with the intent again to measure performance and then we'll use another tool or instrument to measure their um, confidence after completing the activity to see if it you know hasn't an, an influences that in any way. Um, so the goal would be then to publish that. Um, we're trying to do a lot of social media, um, coverage on this. We've been on, you know, local news stations, as Robin mentioned, uh, LinkedIn, um, Facebook, things like that to get people intrigued. Uh, Robin has been to a, a couple of conferences. You mentioned um, uh, one earlier, Shunti Anaxel, which is a nursing simulation one. Um, AWE, I think, was another one. Um, and we're talking about this all over to try to really gain some interest and demonstrate the value that it brings to uh, healthcare training and education. Yeah, definitely a lot, a lot to come on this, and we're going to be working together to commercialize these properties, and so that people can have access to them, and we can deploy them to anybody with the Oculus Quest Two headset, or better, because you know there's going to be a new headset out any day yeah. now. Well, that's not true. Any <laughs> month now. <laughs> I'm dreaming. The VR developer dreaming over here. Yeah, and um, I'm glad that you mentioned AWE. Uh, so actually, we both spoke at that conference. So I will link both of our talks and the show notes here. Um, so if listeners want to listen in or watch those videos, all they have to do is just reg register on AWE Live for free, um, and you can watch those videos. I believe they're on the YouTube as well, but we'll find them and link them. But um, yeah, very important information. Well, this has been a fabulous conversation and um, I appreciate both of your time. Um, is there anything else that you would like to leave us with before we depart? I don't know. I think the, the, uh, the, the only thing I have to say is just uh, to kind of throw out the how awesome it is to work with Tucson Medical Center and we're just really excited uh, for what next year has to offer. And I think we're going to build a whole lot of really cool stuff together and put Tucson Medical Center on the, on the map. They're going to be a thought leader in this field. And everyone will know how much they're leading the immersive technologies out there um, as we're just building great stuff that's actually useful in helping people train. I would agree. And I would also echo that. I think Tucson Medical Center, has again, has been very innovative in their um, thoughts and their willingness to invest and uh, take a look at what might be capable and what we might be capable of and what might be possible in virtual reality. And, and I really want to extend gratitude 
to the foundation and our specifically our nursing leadership and our information services education team. Um, Joy Upshaw is our chief nursing officer there who has been extremely supportive of this project and this program. Uh, Jeffrey Lamy is the director of the foundation, um, also very involved. Heidi Hellquist has been um, extremely instrumental in helping us to uh, write the grant proposals and making sure that we're, and she's representing us in those discussions with the foundation. And then um, Amanda Klopp is the information services uh, director and uh, she has, uh, is CAM's uh, director and has been extremely supportive of this work as well. And then lastly, our chief, um, information officer, John Russell, who uh, has also been uh, excited and supportive of, the, of this work too. So major gratitude to Tucson Medical Center. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's so exciting. I can't wait to read the uh, research report when it's published. I will keep an eye out on that. And uh, thank you both for taking the time out of your day to come on the show. I really appreciate it. And um, I definitely learned something new today. And I'm sure our audience members did as well. So take care. And I can't wait to see what's next for you all. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Ashy. If you enjoyed today's episode of Coffee and Code, share it with a friend. You can also support this podcast by leaving a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, and you can also share it on social media. It doesn't matter if you have five or 500 or 5,000 followers, you have influence. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to be notified when new episodes go live. Thank you so much for listening to Coffee and Code.